everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 342 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about inflation. And it's no surprise that inflation is a big deal nowadays. It's no surprise uh, that we would use this as a topic uh, and talk specifically about how inflation may be impacting stock returns and how it may continue to impact stock returns into the future. And we're going to talk specifically about uh, the opinion of Jeremy Siegel, uh, who's a professor at uh, the Wharton School of Business and uh, you know is this contributor on CNBC all the time. And I've talked about his book, Stocks for the Long Run, before. Uh, um, and I think he has a, you know, a great reputation of understanding markets. Uh, and so I think we need to look at what he says about inflation and maybe take it to heart. Um, and then we can discuss if we're going to make any other changes when it comes to our portfolio because of inflation. So stick around for a discussion of all of those things and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day to day basis. Now, this year in the stock market, there have been several buzzwords, right? Uh, and some of these buzzwords are particularly interesting. Some of them have turned out to be a whole lot of nothing, right? Uh, and so far, one that has turned out to be um, a whole lot of nothing, at least for investors, uh, but may not be a whole lot of nothing for long, is inflation, right? Inflation has increased this year uh, in a way that we have not seen in many, many years, right? If you just look at the past 12 months, uh, or I guess this is probably uh, 13 months because this goes back to last October. Last October, the annualized uh, inflation rate uh, for that month in the United States uh, was 1.2%. Okay, that was October of 2020. That was the CPI reading uh, in October of 2020. November of 2020, 1.2%. December, 1.4%. January, 1.4%. February, 1.7%. Okay, March, 2.6%. April, 4.2%. May, 5%. June, 5.4%. July, 5.4%. August, 5.3%. September, 5.4%. And then October, 6.2%. So from uh, last October to this October, we've seen a 5% increase in the annualized inflation rate. Uh, And this is something we haven't seen in a long, long time. We especially haven't seen annualized uh, inflation of, you know, 6.2% or whatever it is now, uh, you know, because it may be higher, maybe lower uh, at this exact moment. But uh, we haven't seen rates like this since uh, the early 90s and the late 80s, right? 
And so we've seen this big change. And obviously, these big changes in, you know, these uh, financial indicators, these economic indicators, uh, they have impacts, right? This has a very real impact on uh, financial markets. It has a very real impact on investor decisions. And obviously, uh, the biggest impact that it has, because I said it hasn't had a huge impact on markets yet, uh, but it has had a pretty big impact on the wallets of individuals uh, who just are living everyday lives. Because, of course, uh, what inflation is, is the increase in the prices of goods and services over time. Right. Uh, so this increase in the prices of goods and services is going to impact uh, the consumer in a very, very real way. OK. But then the question is, how does inflation impact stock returns? And we may have some general ideas to how this is the case, uh, but there are many ways in which uh, this can materialize. And I want to talk about some of them here. So uh, again, inflation, the rise of the price of goods and services, it reduces the purchasing power of each unit of currency, right? Uh, so the purchasing power, meaning I can buy uh, less with $1 uh, than I could previously, right? That's a decrease in purchasing power right? It has a big effect, right? Input prices are higher. Consumers can purchase fewer goods. Revenues and profits decline. And the economy slows for a time until a measure of economic equilibrium is reached. At least this is typical, right? Uh, now, the consumer price index for all urban consumers, uh, if you look at purchasing power over time, in January of 1947, uh, $464.80 would be the equivalent of uh, in February of 2021 of $38, right? Uh, so the value of that 400 and some odd dollars decreased uh, to today's value of about $38 for that same amount of currency, right? So there's been a staunch decrease in the value of money over time. And this negative impact of rising inflation, it keeps the Fed diligent and focused on detecting early warning signs to anticipate uh, unexpected rises in inflation. And of course, uh, we just found out uh, that um, Jerome Powell is going to remain uh, the Fed chair, which markets seem to to kind of like because uh, it gives them some more certainty, right? If uh, Biden would have appointed somebody different, uh, then maybe that would have created some uncertainty in markets. And of course, markets like things and people and people in power that they can, um, you know, they can predict, that they can forecast, and they can forecast well. And so far, Jerome Powell has been somebody uh, who the market can forecast. And obviously, once they have so much data on this person, they have a general idea of what this person wants to do uh, as they move forward. So what kind of impact does inflation have on stock market returns? Right. So if you examine historical returns during periods of high and low inflation, uh, you can get some clarity as to what impact it has. So numerous studies have looked at the impact of inflation on returns. Unfortunately, these have produced conflicting results uh, when several factors are taken into account, namely geography and time period. Most studies conclude that expected inflation can either positive or negatively impact stocks. So it doesn't seem really clear. Now, this depends on the investor's ability to hedge and the government's monetary policy, right? Which is a big deal because monetary policy now is far, far different than monetary policy was 25 years ago. Now, unexpected inflation showed more conclusive findings, most notably being a strong positive correlation to stock returns uh, during economic contractions, demonstrating that the time of the economic cycle is particularly important for investors gauging the impact on stock returns. So, if you're having a contraction, right, in the economy, and then inflation ticks upward, 
right? That means that the price of goods and services increased, which likely means that demand is coming back. And if demand is coming back, uh, then that can be a positive sign and the market can take off with that. Now, this correlation is also thought to stem from the fact that unexpected inflation contains new information about future prices. Similarly, uh, greater volatility of stock movements was correlated with higher inflation rates, which again is not surprising uh, because higher inflation rates can have ambiguous impacts. Now, the data has proven this in emerging countries uh, where the volatility of stocks is greater than in developed markets. Since the 1930s, the research suggests that almost every country suffered its worst real returns during high inflation periods. Okay, so in real returns, let's just back up to what that means real quick, right? Uh, real returns are just your nominal returns or the returns that you say, oh, I made you know 15% this year or I made 20% this year. Uh, and it is those returns adjusted for inflation. Because, of course, uh, you can make whatever return uh, is available to you in the market. But if you adjust that return for inflation, that is the true amount of purchasing power uh, that your money increased over that period of time. Now, when examining S&P 500 returns by decade and adjusting for inflation, the results show that the highest real returns occur when inflation is 2 to 3%. Inflation greater than or less than this range tends to signal a U.S. macroeconomic environment with larger issues uh, that have varying impacts on stocks. Perhaps more important uh, than the actual returns are the volatility of returns inflation causes and knowing how to invest in that environment, right? So we are well outside that 2 to 3% range currently, right? At 6.2%, that's uh, quite a bit outside that range. So then the question becomes, uh, you know, what are our returns going to look like? Uh, are our returns going to be uh, as positive as they've been in the past? I don't know, but the data may show that uh, that won't be the case. So then there's growth versus value uh, in times of inflation. So stocks are broken down into these subcategories, value and growth, right? Value, they have strong uh, current cash flows that tend to slow over time. And then growth stocks have little or no cash flow today and expect uh, those cash flows to gradually increase over time. Now, uh, when valuing stocks using discounted cash flow methods, meaning uh, that you take all the expected future cash flows and you say how much are those cash flows worth today, uh, in times of rising interest rates, growth stocks are negatively impacted far more than value stocks. And interest rates are usually used to combat high inflation, right? As inflation increases, uh, the Fed tends to increase uh, interest rates in order to tamp down on inflation because uh, low interest rates make it cheap to borrow, okay? And if it's cheap to borrow, then you can grow really fast and uh, as a company, right? And if companies are growing really fast, then inflation's going to tick upward and upward and upward. And so uh, if you make it more expensive to borrow, then it will uh, tamp down that growth a bit, right? Uh, which has a bigger impact on growth stocks. Now, this suggests that there is a positive correlation between inflation and the return on value stocks and a negative one for growth stocks. Interestingly, the rate of change in inflation does not impact the returns of value versus growth as much as the absolute level. The thought is that investors may overshoot their future growth expectations and upwardly mispriced growth stocks. In other words, investors fail to recognize when growth stocks become value stocks and the downward impact on growth stocks is harsh. And we've seen that for some companies already, right? I've used the examples of, and, and these may have a lot more to do with the reopening of the economy, but uh, there have been a lot of growth stocks like Peloton and Zoom and um, you know you had Zillow and, and companies like that that have been extremely negatively impacted by um, you know this uh, reopening and then uh, maybe subsequent inflation as well as growth stocks. Now, 
the bottom line here, right, is that investors try to anticipate factors that will impact the performance of their portfolio naturally, right? We want to know what's going to impact our portfolio in a certain way. And they try to make decisions based on those expectations. And inflation is one of the factors that affect a portfolio. In theory, stocks should provide some hedge against inflation. All right. And this is obvious because uh, as you own companies, right, you own uh, a basket of stocks specifically, then uh, you are getting the residuals of the revenues and the profits of uh, those companies, right? That, that's your return as a shareholder, your return uh, as an owner of the company. You are a residual owner. Well, the more money that company makes, right, via the increase in the prices of goods and services over time, the higher their stock price will be. So you will be a beneficiary of inflation if you do own stocks over a long period of time. Uh, so it is this hedge. As, in, as inflation increases, then um, you will see increases in stock prices as well. Now, however, uh, inflation's varying impact on stocks confuses the decision to trade positions already held or to take new positions. In the U.S. market, the historical proof is noisy, uh, but it does show a high correlation uh, to inflation and lower returns for the overall markets uh, in most periods. So the higher inflation, lower returns uh, most of the time, right? So that's why this is very valid today, because we are seeing higher inflation than we, had, than we have seen in a long time. Now, when stocks are divided into growth and value categories, the evidence is clearer that value stocks perform better in high inflation periods and growth stocks perform better during low inflation. And what have we seen over the last you know, 10 years plus? Uh, we have seen very low inflation. And what has really taken off over that 10 years plus? Well, the growth stocks, right? The growth stocks have blown up and uh, many would argue that they have become very bubbly to this point. Now, one way investors can predict expected inflation is to analyze the commodity markets, right? And we're not so interested in, ex you know, trying to figure out what expected inflation is going to be moving forward. But we do need to understand that inflation has an impact on stock returns. Uh, and especially inflation has the clearest impact on our purchasing power, on our ability to buy goods and services over time. Just think uh, if you're trying to save money, right? And you're trying to save money, let's say, for your kid's college, okay? And your kid's very young, and you're just trying to put money away in a savings account, right? How inefficient is that going to be over time? Uh, because the cost of college is going to increase and increase and increase as long as things stay in the way that they have, right? You're going to see uh, the value of the dollar decline over time, right? So not just inflation uh, when it comes to the price of school, but also the price of school increasing, right? Uh, and then ultimately you're left with uh, this, you know, just amount of money that you put away making nothing over time. That's very inefficient, right? So you want to increase your purchasing power as um, you know, you move on through time or else the value of your money is declining, right? In real terms. Now, all this brings me to Jeremy Siegel, right? So this is a Wharton professor uh, who has, you know, been amazing in, in his research and uh, has done a lot of, um, you know, work on the stock market over a long period of time and wrote the book Stocks for the Long Run, which is a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, I would definitely suggest it. It's not super difficult. Um, it's very, very straightforward and teaches you a lot about the market over a long period of time. And I've uh, done a review of that book on this show before, and you guys can go watch that. Um, I'll put that uh, in this episode somewhere for you guys to click on. Uh, but ultimately, right, what he said uh, is that the market is one more bad inflation report away from a correction right? He's issuing this warning. 
Now, let's see exactly how he comes to such a determination. So he is a long-term bull. And I think this is important to note because uh, bulls typically will tell you the market's going to go up no matter what. The market's just going to go up and up and up and up. And, you know, they're not ever going to give a negative expectation to the market. But Jeremy Siegel is saying, hey, you know, this up and up and up may not continue. Okay, he expects a serious pullback that is not tied to COVID-19 risks. Right. He's expecting a pullback associated with inflation. Right. Um, His tipping point. mm, His tipping point is a drastic change in Federal Reserve policy in order to deal with hot inflation. If the Fed suddenly gets tougher, I'm not sure that the market is going to be ready for a U-turn that Jerome Powell may take if we have one more bad inflation report. And this is what um, Siegel said. He said a correction will come. So basically, uh, you know, the Fed has made it clear that they don't really want to raise rates until maybe later next year uh, at the earliest. But if they are forced into a position where inflation is really hot and they have to act, right? If, if they don't act, then inflation can get out of control. We can get a hyperinflationary uh, you know, environment. So if they don't act, uh, then ultimately things go awry anyway. So they must act. And how would they act? They would act by increasing interest rates. Well, if they do so when the market is not expecting that to occur, then we could see a big correction. I do agree uh, with what um, Siegel is saying here. Now, The CPI, the Consumer Price Index, it surged 6.2% in October. The Labor Department reported that earlier this month. Now, it marked the biggest gain in more than 30 years. Now, Siegel criticizes the Fed for being far behind the curve in order uh, to take care of uh, inflation, in order to uh, enact uh, anti-inflationary actions, anti-inflationary moves uh, that the Fed could take in the market. And so the Fed has obviously uh, announced that they're going to begin tapering their their bond purchases, but maybe um, you know Siegel doesn't think that's fast enough. I would tend to agree that I don't think it's fast enough either, right? Um, and then pushing out the increase uh, in interest rates or the expected increase in interest rates to later next year may just be too far and maybe too far away. And ultimately, if the Fed is playing from behind, the market is not going to like it. The market likes when the Fed is ahead of the curve, is doing all the right things, and is taking care of business. But if the Fed is playing from behind the data, basically meaning uh, if the Fed is just reacting uh, after the data comes out, then the market is not going to react very favorably. Generally, since the Fed has not made any aggressive move at all, the money is still flowing into the market, right? This is what Siegel said. The Fed is still doing quantitative easing, and he's correct. The Fed is still repurchasing bonds from the market, even though it's at a slower rate uh, than it was previously. They are still doing it in large amounts every single month. Now, he speculates, uh, Siegel does, that the moment of truth will happen at the Fed's December 14th and 15th policy meeting. If it signals a more aggressive approach to, to contain rising prices, uh, Siegel warns that a correction could strike. Uh, despite his concerns, Siegel is still in stocks, right? And you would say, well, why would somebody give this type of um, you know, negative outlook and yet still be in stocks? Well, Uh, He says, I'm still pretty fully invested because, you know, there is no alternative. Bonds are getting, in my opinion, worse and worse. Cash is disappearing at the rate of inflation, which is over 6%, and I think it's going to go higher. Uh, Siegel anticipates that rising prices will stretch out over years with cumulative inflation reaching 20 to 25%. So meaning uh, over time, cumulatively total, uh, the purchasing power of your money decreasing by 20 to 25%, which is wild. But he makes a great point here, and it's something that I try to articulate to you guys. But 
there is no alternative, right? There is no alternative to being in stocks, right? If you want to be in bonds right now, you could be in bonds like you know specific bonds for their coupon rate or whatever. And if you held them to maturity and you know that's just part of your portfolio and uh, you're trying to de-risk, I understand. But don't expect great returns, especially on price, in the near future. Because what happens uh, when the Fed raises rates? When the Fed raises rates, then what happens to the value of a bond, the price of a bond? The price of a bond is going to go down. Okay, so the the returns that have been seen on bonds are likely uh, to get tamped. And then not only that, uh, bonds are what we call fixed income instruments, meaning that they pay you a fixed amount of income typically every single quarter or uh, every half a year. Right. And if inflation continues, right, uh, then the money that you get paid on whatever basis it is, uh, is going to continue to go down and down in value because it's not increasing with inflation over time, right? So bonds, not a great idea. Cash, right? Uh, cash is decreasing at the value of inflation, right? It is decreasing at that particular rate um, in value because uh, inflation is eating away at the purchasing power of cash, at the purchasing power of money, right? Uh, so it's becoming less and less valuable. So he's saying the only place where you can hedge against inflation uh, and get increases in value is the stock market. Now, of course, uh, real estate has seen quite the uh, upward movement as well. Uh, and over time, real estate is a pretty good place uh, to do this as well. Uh, but he's saying in typical financial markets, the only real place that you can get uh, this type of inflation hedge and the only uh, place that you can uh, get the returns that you need is in stocks. Okay. Now, even with a little bit of bumpiness in stocks, uh, you have to be wanting to hold real assets in this scenario, and stocks are real assets, he noted. All that, uh, which in the long run is going to maintain value, uh, but again, it depends on the company. Okay, so Siegel's saying, hey, if you own a, an index fund, you own a mutual fund that holds a lot of different companies, uh, and it's well diversified, uh, then you are holding all these real assets that are going to maintain and go up in value over a long period of time. But if you're holding individual stocks, it's just going to depend on the stock. It's going to depend on the company and how they react to increases in inflation. He notes the inflation backdrop could create headwinds uh, for tech high flyers in the NASDAQ, uh, which is at record highs and crossed 16000 for the first time ever on Friday. If the interest rates go up, the very high price stocks, which discount cash flows way into the future, are going to be affected because of the discounting mechanism. And he's right, right? All of these stocks that are, you know, blown up in price, the reason that they are blown up in price and the reason that they have come uh, to some determination of what that price is, is because they are expecting future growth that is so outside of what they are currently doing. And they're, you know, discounting uh, cash flows way in the future back to today, right? Well, the, the truth of the matter is, is that if inflation continues to increase and then ultimately interest rates increase as well, uh, then that will impact not just the short-term cash flows, but the long-term cash flows that are expected from these companies. And thus, bringing all of those big long-term cash flows back to today at a higher discount rate, uh, which will ultimately lead to what? A lower valuation, and in some cases, a much, much lower valuation. Okay. Siegel attributes growth stocks uh, record strength to the Delta variant fears and falling treasury yields. He predicts that the COVID-19 surge will subside as more people get boosters. Um, that has stopped the so-called reopening trade. Uh, he said value has gotten very, very cheap. 
and we just talked a little while ago about how value stocks they can tend to outperform when there is inflation because they they benefit from inflation with the increase of prices um, and ultimately their cash flows are far more stable and not so impacted by their ability to borrow very cheaply and raise money very cheaply now if Siegel is right about an abrupt Fed policy change, he sees Wall Street getting over the shock uh, of it fairly quickly. Uh, and this new desire to own dividend stocks and financials in 2022 may be coming, right? These these value uh, stocks, these stocks that are going to create uh, some income for you. He sees that there may be uh, a flock into those. He says financials have been selling off recently with the lower interest rates. They could come back. So listen, I'm not saying go and change your portfolio because of Jeremy Siegel. I respect him. I think he is a very, very great mind when it comes to financial markets. I think he thinks about things in a very logical way. But on the other hand, if you are buying stocks and continuing to buy stocks and doing so over a long period of time, then that's what you need to continue to do, right? You don't need to worry about uh, the fact that the market may go through some macroeconomic trend. If anything, right? If anything, if we see some decrease in prices, some uh, slump in uh, you know stock prices, then guess what you can do? You can buy more, right? And that's what we should be wanting to do. Especially the the younger you are, you shouldn't want to just see stocks go up. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about being young in the stock market. If nothing else, when you're young, you want to see stocks drop. Right and not drop precipitously. I know we don't want to all see the value of our money just go away, uh, but especially with our retirement accounts and especially with any money that we're putting away over a long, long period of time, uh, we want to just buy and buy and buy at cheaper and cheaper prices. Right? We would love to see corrections from these highs. Right? Because buying at highs is going to get you the worst returns from this point moving forward. Right, But if the market is to fall, then you are going to get better prices, buy things at a discount, or buy things at a discount relative to what they were selling for, uh, and allow that, that money, allow uh, those assets to grow over the long term into the future. Right, You should be wanting that. The younger you are, the more you should want uh, these types of pullbacks. And look, Again, it's rare to see such a negative sentiment out of somebody who is a long-term bull, but at least he is clear about, hey, I'm still holding stocks, right? There's no alternative to holding stocks. Stocks are the best, and I agree with him, right? There's a reason he wrote the book, Stocks for the Long Run, because he agrees with holding stocks for how long? For the long run, right? Uh, for as long as uh, you ultimately need increasing uh, value of assets over a long period of time. So look, what's my suggestion here when it comes to inflation? My suggestion is keep doing what you're doing. Unless, unless this is true, unless you are somebody who has been buying individual stocks, in which case you may need to change your portfolio in a way uh, that is necessary with your, one, your risk profile, and then two, uh, with different valuation techniques. Because if you've been valuing some of these growth stocks to just continue going up into uh, oblivion, into uh, infinity, then you may need to rethink what you're doing, right? You may need to rethink what's going on uh, in your portfolio. Now, you may also say, hey, maybe it's a chance to you know, buy some of these growth stocks at lower valuation. Sure, but if you've already made uh, huge gains, right? If you've already made gains that are uh, really large over time and you don't uh, want to just give all those gains back, then maybe it's time to trim some positions and have some dry powder if something like this is to occur. But again, I'm not about timing the market. Right? And trying to determine when inflation is going to, going to ultimately happen is timing the market. And I'm not trying to do that. I'm not in that business. I'm in the business of buying and buying and buying and buying over a long period of time. And guess what? 
things are ultimately going to go up in value over a long period of time. If you ask me, are stocks going to be more or less valuable 20 years from now as a group, uh, then the answer is obviously they're going to be more valuable than they are today, right? And even more so 40, 50, 60 years from now, right? When I'm old, uh, then the stocks will be much, much higher uh, and we will all be better off for owning them for the long run. So even though Siegel puts out uh, something like this that, that gives us some negative sentiment about what may occur in the market, uh, I think ultimately he's just doing his job. And his job is to uh, foresee what may occur, uh, you know, speak it out to the public, uh, get some attention in this way, uh, and then see what happens, right? Um, the Fed could be right. Right. Uh, but it wouldn't be the first time that they were wrong and it wouldn't be the first time that they were uh, behind uh, the, the curve on what's actually occurring in the market. So I would not be surprised to see that the, the Fed missed the boat uh, and you know they don't increase uh, interest rates fast enough because like Siegel said, they are still quantitative easing uh, at this time. So they are still pumping money into the economy and rates are still staying low. Uh, so the question is, what's the breaking point and at what point do markets decide enough is enough with this inflation uh, and you know they start really pricing in uh, increase in interest rates, which will ultimately have those negative impacts on growth stocks. And then, you know, if they have a negative impact on growth stocks, it'll have a negative impact on stocks as a whole, at least in the short term. So just understand that something like that can happen. And if it does, and we do see downturns, we do see corrections, then be ready to buy because that is the way that you are going to benefit over the long term. You are going to benefit from buying and buying and buying cheap and buying uh, when everybody else is scared, being greedy when others are fearful and then fearful when others are greedy. Uh, that is how you're going to make money in the stock market over the long term. Take the words of Siegel, take the words of Warren Buffett that I just gave you, um, and you will be better off over the long term holding stocks uh, and not selling them off because you're scared or buying them because it sounds good to everybody. Don't have FOMO. Have a consistent um, you know, buying strategy. Have a consistent net buying strategy over a long period of time, and you will win, I promise. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So tune in tomorrow as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.